Chapter 5, Part 6 of Guide to the Study of the Christian Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tony Richardson. Guide to the Study of the Christian Religion, edited by Gerald Bernie Smith. Chapter 5. Part 6. The Study of the Old Testament and the Religion of Israel. 6. Gentile Christianity in the Apostolic Age. Characteristics of this period. From earliest times to about 70 A.D., the new religion in Gentile lands was hardly distinguished from Judaism by outsiders. Its chief advocates, such as Paul, Barnabas, Apollo, Peter, Silas, John Mark, were all Jews by birth and training. Moreover, the Christian preachers used the Jewish scriptures as their own sacred literature, they did their work when possible in connection with the Jewish synagogues, and they presented the new movement as a continuation of ancient Hebrew religion. On the other hand, between Jews and Christians themselves, bitter enmity had developed. Not only were the Christian missionaries unacceptable to the majority of the Jews, but the Christian movement had by this time evolved an independent organization which drew away from the synagogue the support of all individuals who accepted Christianity. Hostility was further aggravated by the inroads which Christianity made among the circle of God-fearers. These were Gentiles who attended the synagogue services admiring the ethical and spiritual heritage of Judaism, but who were backward about identifying themselves completely with the Jewish race. To them, Christianity must have made an especially strong appeal, since it offered a means of inheriting the spiritual values of Judaism without accepting circumcision as a condition of participation in the full blessings of salvation. Still another cause of discord in those circles where liberal preachers of Paul's type labored was violation of the rules of ceremonial purity by Christian Jews who freely associated with Gentile converts in the same community. The Gentile churches contained converts from many faiths. The Jewish element predominated in some communities, while in other places Gentiles were greatly in the majority. The latter had been reared in one or more of the contemporary pagan religions in which that ancient world abounded. Consequently, a Christian community was likely to be varied in its tastes, interests, and heritages. But as yet, it was not fully conscious of its own real permanence as an institution in the world. Even Gentile converts accepted the notion that the world was to come to an end soon 
and in the manner described by adherents to Jewish eschatological views. Such are the general conditions to be kept in mind when sketching the history of Christianity in Gentile lands down to, say, 70 A.D. The new movement is practically ignored by the Greco-Roman world at large. It is confined chiefly to the lower strata of society, where it encounters severe opposition from the Jews. It draws its membership from the various contemporary faiths. It has almost no real consciousness of its own permanence as an institution, and it is still guided in the main by leaders of the first generation who, roughly speaking, are apostles or friends of apostles. Sources of Information Paul's epistles are the chief direct sources of information for the period, but they are merely occasional documents written at different times between the years 50 and 65 A.D., and are not at all designed to furnish a comprehensive history of Christianity during its early spread to Gentile lands. Moreover, in dealing with this period, the author of Acts has been interested almost exclusively in the activities of Paul. In consequence of this one-sidedness of the sources, a study of Christianity during this period becomes almost exclusively a history of the work of Paul. But we must not suppose that he and his immediate associates were the only Gentile missionaries carrying on work during these years. For example, there was an important church at Rome to which he wrote one of his longest letters, but with whose establishment he had nothing to do. Furthermore, Barnabas, Peter, Apollos, and John Mark, as well as many other unknown persons, were at the same time carrying on missionary activities, and a portion at least of their labors fell in Gentile territory. The Conversion of Paul Paul's conversion seemed to the author of Acts to mark a distinct epoch in the history of the new religion and its epochal significance for Paul's own life is attested in his letters. He says that the event marked the halting of his vigorous activity as a persecutor and the revelation to him of the heavenly Christ. The exact content of Paul's experience at this time has been much debated. From the historian's standpoint, the primary problem is to ascertain Paul's own view of the matter and the factors in his environment which helped him toward the attainment of this particular experience. Following are the chief considerations involved in this study. 1. Belief in the reality of apparitions was a common possession in Paul's world. 2. Christian preaching regarding Jesus' elevation to a position of angelic dignity in heaven and his appearance to certain of his followers had been brought forcibly to Paul's attention when persecuting the Christians. 3. 
Paul's own sensitive temperament is evidenced in the vigor of his persecution as well as in his liability to ecstatic experience after becoming a Christian. 4. His life in the diaspora must also have brought him into contact with a widely popular type of thinking in which mystical experience was regarded as the summum honum in religion. Even Jews were influenced by this notion, in spite of the fact that it ran counter to the spirit of legalism. In the case of Philo, for example, satisfaction for the mystical impulse was found in the emotional discovery of hidden meanings in the law, a result reached by freely applying the allegorical method of interpretation. Paul, as a Jew, had evidently been seeking mystical satisfactions under the law, though his search may have been directed more along ascetic lines. 5. There were also many contemporary cults which, by their rites and teachings, provided concrete means for realizing mystical religious satisfaction through belief in a dying and rising hero divinity held as Lord of the community. The worship of Lord Serapis, Lord Osiris, Lady Isis, and several other similar divinities had been flourishing in the eastern Mediterranean lands a century and more before Paul's conversion. These cults supplied to the populace the mystical satisfactions which the more educated classes sought in the realm of philosophical meditation. The way in which familiarity with these cults may have helped to prepare Paul for the acceptance of Christianity is suggested in his statement that salvation is to be obtained by following the simple recipe, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10.9 The notion of a Lord in whose resurrection believers exercised faith was doubtless well known to Paul from contact with the Hellenistic world, but the pagan cults were too far removed from Judaism to permit Paul as a Jew to make any practical use of their imagery in his personal religious life. In Christianity, he first found it possible to bridge the chasm separating Jewish legalism and Hellenistic mysticism. 6. Doubtless, Paul was also familiar with the apocalyptic beliefs of contemporary Judaism. Hence the idea of the heavenly Christ as preached by the Christians would all the more readily find lodgment in Paul's mind. These are some of the factors which were peculiar to Paul's environment prior to his conversion and constituted the setting for his experience. Modern psychological analysis of religion had no place in Paul's world. Hence the question so often raised today as to the ultimate ground of the experience was never asked by him. He was convinced that he had witnessed an actual vision of the living Lord, and in this 
he was but repeating the conviction not only of other christians who had seen visions of jesus but also of devotees of the mystery religions in which the initiate sometimes believed himself favored by a vision of the god paul can be understood historically only as we accustom ourselves to the ways of thinking particular to paul's own world paul's career as a missionary in so far as the christian career of paul is recoverable at all it may easily be reconstructed from his letters and from acts the special occasion and purpose of each of his epistles will also appear as the student follows the course of paul's activity still there will remain several questions not easy to answer the extent and character of his work for a dozen years previous to his first missionary tour described in acts chapters thirteen and following are very obscure there is also a question whether the council in jerusalem reported in acts chapter fifteen is identical with that mentioned in galatians chapter two verses one through ten in view of galatians two it is also doubtful whether paul would have accepted the decrees passing them on to the churches so obediently as acts represents in acts fifteen twenty two through twenty nine and acts sixteen verse four again it is not known positively whether paul addressed his galatian letter to the christians in southern galatia antioch and pisidia iconium lystra and derby or to churches in the north of the province for example at ancra and Pisinus. finally was paul released at the end of the two years of roman imprisonment mentioned in acts if so did he ever carry out his intention of going to spain and what were the circumstances which brought about his death these are some of the problems still open to discussion in a study of the life of paul nevertheless his place in the history of early christianity is better known than that of any of his contemporaries missionary methods of paul the methods employed by him in his missionary work are particularly interesting when he and barnabas went on their first tour the church at antioch in syria may have financed the enterprise but later paul worked strictly on his own account and so his activity was restricted mainly to industrial and commercial centers where he and his companions could more easily earn their livelihood as they preached when troubles arose in distant communities which had been established by himself or by some other christian in his travels paul would write a letter of instruction and exhortation sending it by some friend who might be passing that way in cases of serious trouble he endeavored to make a personal visit to the church but this was not always possible and letter writing was used as a substitute the manner of propaganda was simple 
when possible paul embraced the opportunity which the jewish synagogue service offered for preaching following the reading of the scripture but this privilege usually was short-lived since paul's message proved unacceptable to the jewish authorities probably much effective missionary work was done through personal conversation with men and women engaged in the same activities in the ordinary walks of life street preaching was another means which was doubtless frequently employed one of the most characteristic phenomena of that age was the traveling moral philosopher the cynic stoic preacher who went about exhorting men to live the nobler life which these practical philosophers held up as the ideal the form of their discourse known as a diatribe is reproduced in many portions of paul's letters as he dictated these letters to an amanuensis he easily fell into the style which he like his fellow stoic preachers employed in public discourse the sophist was also a familiar figure in that world he was more of a public entertainer than the cynic stoic preacher and followed the profession for its lucrative possibilities he often had a building or hall where he instructed pupils in the art of oratory and where he gave public exhibitions of his own oratorical skill paul speaks rather disparagingly of the sophist's art but it was probably from one of these pedagogues in ephesus that paul rented a room for a certain time each day when he publicly expounded the new religion in a manner not wholly different from the method used by the sophist for propagating his interests life in the pauline communities how are we to think of the new assemblies so often referred to as churches it must not be supposed that christians at this time owned buildings or that they supported elaborate organizations they assembled at the home of some member or the group or at some hall temporarily procured for the purpose when they were able to pay the rental the time of meeting was either early in the morning before going to work or at night after the labors of the day were over a special service was held on the first day of the week sunday but as yet there was no such thing as a sunday holiday there were two kinds of meeting one private and the other public the religious meal was eaten at the former while scripture reading singing and preaching took place in the latter new members were admitted into full fellowship in the community through the rite of baptism there were no stated officials but certain individuals stood out more prominently than others because of their ability to discharge particular functions at first these activities were wholly spontaneous and were credited to the guidance of the spirit prophesying teaching working miracles healing the sick helping the needy giving counsel speaking with tongues and interpretation of tongues 
were all effected through the agency of the spirit nevertheless conditions within this new society were not always ideal its membership was varied some being slaves while others were fairly prosperous individuals different tastes and opinions were represented and occasionally there were factions and even cases of moral laxity some families were divided one member having adopted christianity while the others remained adherents of some pagan cult and to add to the difficulty some of the communities were visited by judaizers who asserted that the gentiles could not be saved unless they accepted circumcision the christianity of paul what in its main outlines was the type of christianity represented by paul one he strongly advocated a mystical as opposed to a legalistic interpretation of religion but he was a practical rather than a philosophical mystic that is he attained to union with deity not by means of meditation and intellectual emotion but through the medium of worship to be in christ or to be spiritual to use his characteristic modes of expression was a state which could be attained only in connection with the new worshiping community hence the great significance of its unique rites such as baptism and the lord's supper two the christianity of paul is also dominated by a vivid eschatological hope phrased in the apocalyptic imagery of jewish messianism if paul's mysticism shows a distinct hellenistic coloring his eschatology is emphatically jewish in type the heavenly christ with whom he enjoyed a permanent mystical union as realistic as that of the devotee in any of the mystery cults was the jewish messiah soon to come on the clouds in glory and one of the chief incentives for missionary enterprise was the thought of his impending event three the ethical note in paul's exposition of christianity is also very prominent he not only conserved those fine ethical heritages which came to him from judaism and from the teaching of jesus but occasionally he also availed himself of stoic ideals widely current in his day thus paul so appreciated the needs of his environment and was himself so thoroughly an integral part of his world that he was able to deliver a religious message which made a strong appeal to the men of his time he himself had encompassed so wide a range of experience that he was especially suited to the task of ministering to the needs of that syncretistic age he did not to be sure reach the higher philosophical circles of the time but this failure was in a measure fortunate the mission of christianity still lay for some years with the masses and in fact as we shall later observe it ultimately triumphed 
as the organized cult rather than as a philosophy of religion end of chapter five part six